0: Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. So in the past two weeks, I I, I preached about um, forgiving God. I preached about submitting to the will of God, Um, but I still can't get away from john the baptist and so i don't want to preach you know for the next six months on pain and suffering and sorrow and uh just go completely emo on you i don't want to do that um you know and you know because we'll all start we will probably trade out our, our worship songs for country music or something and it'll be it'll just completely jack up the vibe of our church but uh some of you like country music that's cool that's fine um i can't stand it but um I don't, I, I don't, I don't want to sit there too long, but but, I, but last week, I just didn't feel like the ending of submit to God was good enough for me. I mean, it's good, and obviously I thought it was good because I, I preached it and shared it with you all, and I do think it's a necessary step, but it just doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right that, we, that, we, that the Bible's completely silent about John's final hours, his final months. We, we hear Jesus say, blessed is he who's not offended at me. We know that he is executed and buried. There's a lot of interesting uh, uh, teaching from the Catholic Church and from the Orthodox Church about what happened to John's head afterward. And there's kind of some mystical sort of weirdness going on. But, but we really don't, it just, what, what, what kept me up at night, last Sunday night, by the way, after I preached the message to you that was so difficult, I was up at 2 a.m., Sunday night, normally I'm wiped out, tired, but I couldn't sleep because because it, it bothered me. It bothered me that God just left us just with submit to his will and just be done with it. I, I, I said, God, where is the joy? Where is the, the comfort? Where is the hope? Like, I need something more than just, well, submit and hope that everything. I, I need something more than that and that's where the lord spoke this this passage to me uh, from second timothy I, I was i was i was on the toilet downstairs at 2 a.m saying god what the heck you're just gonna leave your servant down there i mean come on like serious i need some hope and uh and this is where this scripture played out uh in my mind and then this is this is another servant of god who his name is paul and this is second timothy this is one of his uh, latter epistles this is late in his life just like john was in a roman dungeon paul is in a roman cell just like john was uh, beheaded paul is about to be beheaded um, for similar silly purposes kind of uh, political ends uh, and 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 he's sitting in 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 a roman cell and and he writes these words to his protege to to timothy and, and, and I love that typically Paul doesn't let us in on his thoughts and feelings in his heart because he's, he's sharing the word of God. It's more important that we know about who God is than we know about who Paul is. But I'm thankful that every once in a while he lifts the veil a little bit and lets us know what he's thinking. Because I need to associate with something like that. I, it's difficult for me just to say, "Well, submit to God," and then and then just submit to God. I, I need to know that humans have done this. I need to know that people with 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 a heartbeat have actually done this. Like I need to know that this is possible. It sounds great on paper. It sounds good when the preacher says, I "Just trust God. Just need to trust." Yeah, but what in the world does that feel like? What does that look like? Is it possible to trust God with all of my my my, my chatter in my head? is it possible to trust god with all of my excuses is it possible to trust god because maybe maybe paul has a better understanding of god and so maybe it's i'm not at a place where i can do that and so it's difficult sometimes and i love when paul just opens the veil a little bit and he lets us know how he's feeling in this moment right he is he is almost hearing the footsteps of the executioner coming to his cell and he writes to timothy he says for i am already being poured out as a drink offering He's sharing his heart. This is how he feels. He says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. A drink offering uh, was 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 a type of worship, a type of offering to God that instead of bringing cash and putting it in the bucket uh, at church... Um, water is very, is very precious in the Middle East even today, but especially 2,000 years ago And so what they would do if they wanted to show how much they value God They would take a, a cup of water and pour it out on the ground as a, as a waste, as a, as a worship As just saying, God, like, you're worth more to me than this water So I'm going to dump this water out right here And that's what Paul says his life is He says, my life is like a drink offering There's this great value and God's just like pouring it out on the ground It's a waste this is what paul feels and that, that that's what i was feeling about 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 john the baptist like he lost his head over 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 a birthday party it seems like such a waste the value of the head was way more than the platter but the girl valued the platter more than she did the head because she didn't even understand the people who crush your dreams won't even know what it cost you to hold on to those dreams and for how long you've been holding them but it's just such a waste and paul says this is how i feel i feel like a cup of water that god is just pouring completely pointlessly on the ground as a drink offering as worship to him And he says, the time of my departure is at hand. Like, like I'm about to die here. And And so, Paul, what are you thinking in this moment? John, what are you thinking in this moment? And this is what Paul tells us. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have kept the faith. Finally, he says, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. Um, crown here means wreath or victor's wreath, like, like, like re- he's referring to the race. So he's finished the race, and so he's going to get a, a victor's wreath for finishing the race. The righteous judge will give me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved or, or longed for his appearing. And so if you want to know what John is feeling, this, this gives me hope because I think this is what John was feeling. I think this is, what, this, is what, this, this is what Paul is feeling, is that at the end of it all, as his life is being poured out as a drink offering, which, which I can associate with at times, uh, feeling the waste, feeling the loss, just pouring it out to God, he says at the end of it all, this is, what, this is how I feel. I feel like I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have finished the race. And so and so, so, for my sermon title today, I didn't have time to make a slide for it, so you're going to have to help me announce the sermon title. So, so here's what I want you to do. This is kind of a theatrical sermon title, so you're going to have to stand up. Uh, I, I know this isn't Catholic trip Mass, but if you just stand up, you've only been, you've been sitting for a little while, so you're going to have to stand up. You're going to have to face the person next to you. Row, you're going to have to talk to Jana. And uh, maybe just the three of you guys are going to have to chat. Um, you're just going to have to announce it to the person next to you. And then, and then, and then you're going to have to act it out, okay? So you're going to have to announce it, and then you're, then you're going to have to, like, shake your head. Don't get too social yet. It's just, it's, 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 you're just going to shake your head and then just sit down in disgust, all right? So this is, this is the way this is the sermon title is going to go. Okay, so it's just, it's just four words, all right? So just look at the person in the eye and say, I am so done okay now shake your head and sit down just <laughs> have you ever been done with anything i mean just done done with a college degree maybe high school anybody've just been done anybody been done with a hard work week anybody everybody on friday afternoon just been so done you Have been done with a toxic relationship? Maybe. You just, well, don't shout me. Okay, that's uh, sounded a little, little, fresh. That's good. That's good. Uh, it's sometimes, like you, you, you reach a point, right? When, you, if you're doing anything worth doing, if you're, if you're exploring anything worth exploring, if you're fighting for anything worth fighting for, you reach a point when you are so done. And I don't mean so done like, like you're ready to quit, but I mean you've pressed, you've pushed beyond the point where you wanted to quit, and you've finished what it is you set out to finish. And this is what God was sharing with me, is that there is a joy in being done. There is a great joy in being done. Now, I'm, I'm not like Paul. I don't, I don't think I'm about to lose my head next week, but there are some things I have done and, 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 and I think sometimes, uh, especially as Americans in the 21st century and millennials especially, we, we tend to look up at this massive mountain of where we're going and we're never done because we're never there. But if you want to get discouraged, just look at the end game. Just look at the big goal. Keep your eye on the big goal. That will make you so discouraged. At some point, you have to learn how to create micro wins, how to create smaller wins to say, I am done with, like, I did that. And, and th- th- this is what the big goal is made up of. It is made up of a whole bunch of little goals. And so, even though I'm not on my deathbed necessarily, I'm not about. I don't think I'm about to lose my head anytime soon. There are some things that I can say. I am so done. I have done that. Like I did that. I did. Maybe I didn't do it well. Maybe I did. Maybe I would do it better if I got to do it again. But I did it. I did it struggling. I did it bumbling my way. I fumbled my way through, but I did it. Like, nobody cares how you cross the goal line in football as long as you're holding on to the ball and you get across the line, right? It's not, it, there's no such thing as an ugly touchdown catch. There's no such thing as an ugly touchdown run. Every single score, um, Cowboys fans, by the way, this is how you win games, is you score touchdown. This is how it... <laughs> this is how it happens. And I'm not talking about the last drive in the fourth quarter. I'm talking about the first quarter. the like, this is how you win games. This is how you get the big W is by getting small micro wins, by getting first downs and then getting touchdowns. And at some point, you have to learn how to celebrate. Detroit's really good at that. Celebrating whenever, because we score like two a game. So every time we score, boy, we know how to celebrate. You got to learn to celebrate when it's done. When you have done it, and I don't mean you've completed everything, I don't mean you've finished everything, I don't even mean you placed first, second, or third. Paul says, I have finished the race. He's not even talking about where he was standing on the podium. He just got across the finish line. At some point, there is a great joy, there is a rest, there is a uh, relaxation when you have done it. And, 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 and that's what I want for all of us. I, I, I want to live a life... Of having done something, of having done a lot of little things, right? Even even the purpose statement of people are worth it. This is wonderful and 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 colossal and big and and and, 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 and all of that. but 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 you have to celebrate like when the trash has been picked up, um, from the three-mile stretch of road that we adopted, right? You have to celebrate when the 33 kids are fed this week um, by the, the the food that you guys are bringing. We have to celebrate the little things. I mean, yeah, we, it's not like we're impacting all of Austin or all of the world or, or, or changing, you know, world changers and all that kind of stuff. But, but, but at least for 33 kids through the summer, they're getting food in their stomach every single day because we did that. Like, we did what was in front of us. We did what we could do with the money that we had and the resources that we had and the opportunities that we had had, we did it, and there's just a joy about that, Uh, because they've got to celebrate that every once in a while, like like with our Keep Kids Fed program, we started with, what, five kids in a summer, and we fed those five kids, and we fed those five kids every week, and you guys adopted, different families adopted them, drove to their homes, didn't make them come to church to get food, we just took food to them, and at some point, you just got to celebrate, I mean, yeah, we want to feed more kids, but hey, we fed five kids, and we did it, and you just got to celebrate that, because if you don't, if you can't find joy, in the middle, if you can't find joy in the doing, if you can only find joy in the results. Oh yeah, we scored a touchdown. Yeah, but did we win the game? Well, no, no, but we scored a touchdown, so we're gonna do this little dorky dance that we all figured out how to do, right? Because we, we, you, you gotta you got celebrate, you, you have to learn to find joy in the middle. Micah, uh, my, my, my youngest son, uh, seven years old, he's, he's actually super smart. And um, I tell him he's smart, and I believe he's smart, uh, smarter than, probably, he has better genetic brains than I do. Um, because he's asking questions. Like, to me, that's a sign of intelligence, is, is not knowing things, but it's, it's, it's being able to ask questions. Um, ignorant people believe they know everything, and so they, they just spout out stuff. That, that means you have low, intel, low IQ. But a high IQ says, uh, I, I, I ask questions because I'm, I'm trying to get to answers that other people aren't even thinking about. And so we went to the fireworks this past week, and uh, we were there in Buda. We parked up underneath them, and it was awesome. And we were driving away, and I was telling the kids, man, do you know how much money that costs? Let me tell you how much that, that fireworks show costs. Because a friend of mine, her dad runs fireworks shows and stuff. And, I said, and so I was telling them about that, and Micah asked a question. He said, he, said, he, he said, why would the government do that? Why would the government spend all that money to show fireworks to people and not charge them just to show it to them? And I said, well, that's a really good question. That's not the kind of question I was thinking about when I was seven, but okay. This it, it, is a good question. And so I said, well, madam, what do you think? And she said, well, I think because it's important to remember uh, Independence Day. It's important to remember the day that we, that we you know, um, told england to shove off and uh you know it's it's important to remember she didn't say that but you know it's important to remember when we signed a declaration of Independence it's important because it's, it's it's important and i said that's true it's part of our identity every culture every tribe has their story about how they started and if you forget how you started you'll forget where you're going and if you forget where you're going then you won't know when you've got there or how close you are to getting there and so it's important that you remember your story, that you remember what started this whole thing. It's, 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 it's important. And so that's good. But it's also, I mean, why would the government still be spending all this money to celebrate? And that's why I told Micah. I said, because, because when you have a people who are happy, when you have a people who are celebrating, you have people who are much more willing to pay taxes. You have people who are much more willing to vote for things. You have pe- when, 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 when people are happy... If they can smile in the middle, even in the middle of a recession, if they can smile even in the middle of political turmoil, if they can smile even in the middle of their own issues in their own lives, it it will allow them to be more productive because when you find joy in the middle of stuff, it gives you strength, it gives you power. The secret to power, one of the secrets to power is joy in the middle. And I believe that John because he endured everything he endured, because he left a witness and a testimony to his disciples who didn't run from Jesus, rather ran to Jesus. Sometimes the best, the best identifier of how you acted in a moment is not even a recording of how you acted, but it is the people who watched you act in that moment and what they did after the moment, after they watched you in your suffering. In other words, your kids are going to be a much better testament to if you really believe God or not than you are. And, and your diary isn't going to share the, the full story. The people, when, when people walk away from your execution, where they turn is going to be a sign as to the, the message that you left, the message that you taught them, what you showed them. And John's disciples went to Jesus. And because John's disciples went to Jesus, I have to believe that John found some kind of joy in the middle of his, of his suffering, in the middle of his pain, and, and that that joy gave him power uh, to be obedient, gave him power to walk in that, to keep the faith. That's what Paul said. I have, I, have, I, I have fought the good fight. I have run the race. I have kept the faith. No matter what you lose, you, I, I pray you hold on to the faith. I pray you keep your faith, whatever finances, whatever friends, whatever uh, habits, whatever loved ones you might lose, whatever relationship, whatever trust you might lose, whatever integrity you might lose, whatever reputation you might lose. I pray that you never lose hold of your faith, that through it all that you're able to maintain your faith. And that's what Paul said. He said, I, I, I have finished the race, I have fought the fight, and I have kept my Faith, because, because, because the, the see, one of the secrets to power is having joy as I go through things, as I walk through things. And, and, so, and so what I wanna do today is I, I just wanna look at Paul's testimony here. I wanna break it down to those three things, the three things that Paul says, I have fought the good fight, I have run the race, and I have finished the, the race, and I have kept the faith. I wanna look at those because I believe that these are some, some secrets uh, for how we can maintain power in the middle of pain In the middle of difficult situations And uh, the first thing is he said I have fought the, the good fight uh, The good fight I have fought the good fight The word they're good can also be translated better One of the reasons um, why we lose our joy Is because we spend a lot of our energy um, not. It's not that we're not fighting It's just we're not fighting the better fight we, we're, we're, we're fighting the lesser fights I've never known anybody to get burned out by fighting the good fight. But I've known people to become burned out both in ministry and in their marriage and with their kids and in a job that they know they're supposed to be faithful to. And, and, and even as an entrepreneur in a business they know they're supposed to be faithful to and to build. When, when, when burnout happens, not because you're fighting too much. It's because you're fighting the wrong fights. You're fighting lesser fights. Paul said, I fought the the good fight. He said, I fought, I stepped into the arena of the true enemy. And this is this, this is this is the trick of being in the middle of pain oftentimes what we want to do is we want to fight the enemy that's in front of us we want to fight the enemy that's causing or we perceive is causing pain or we perceive as the is the roadblock and so we will fight lesser fights and sometimes we'll actually win sometimes we'll win the argument sometimes we'll win the fight and we will feel like hey all right cool we we, 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 we gained some ground we won something but but here's the deal if you're if you're not fighting the right enemy it doesn't matter. You would be better off losing in a fight against the right enemy than winning against all of these people who are not really your enemy. And all of these arguments that you're creating, where they're, they're not really, the Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers in high places. And sometimes that's got messed up to be to be like, well, you we have to be really weird to be spiritual. No, the highest place in the land is right here. This is as high of a place as those enemies and powers and rulers. This is where they reside. They reside right up here. And so often we're, fi- we're fighting the enemy out there when the greatest fight, the best fight, the good fight, is the fight that is within our own head, within our own heart, within our our own mind. This is the greatest fight, that God is trying to get you to be the greatest version of you, the the version of you that he saw in his mind. God is trying to get get your family into the greatest version that he saw in his mind, your marriage into the version that he saw in his mind. And that is the fight that is worth fighting. Every other fight is a waste of energy and a waste of time. We spend time fighting against people that annoy us, people that have different political views than us, people people that step on our toes, people that say things that we don't like. We spend so much time fighting for our reputation fighting to, to make sure our voice is heard, fighting to make sure that, 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 that people respect us. And yet people's, people's opinions of you is none of your concern. It's not your business. Get your nose out of other people's heads. It's not up to you. You cannot define yourself to them. And when you fight the fight of trying to explain yourself so that everybody will like you or trying to say yes to everybody so that everybody will like you or trying to, or, or trying to fix everybody all around you, your finances cannot handle the fight of trying to fix everybody around you because God hasn't given you enough to fix everybody around you. He's given you enough to take care of you. My God shall supply all of my needs according to His riches and glory, not my needs plus everybody that I sign on the dotted line for. And so you got to be careful. You got to be careful that you don't fight the wrong fight. That you don't. That you're not so desperate to be liked and to be loved and to be needed that you do. You, you gladly jump in other people's arenas. You 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 you're not going to fight the good fight. The truth is God has power for us in every situation. There is power available to us, just like there are power cords across this stage. And, 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 and we have to plug into that power. Uh, John Wesley called it the means of grace, that his, his grace is there. His power is available, but you have to, you have to plug into it. You have to connect with it. And so, and so one of the means of grace is, 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 his, is his word. And so if this is collecting dust on your shelf, then you are not plugging into the power that is available to you. Uh, another means of grace is prayer. That when you that when you connect with God in prayer, that he gives power to you and understanding to you just by praying. You say, I don't know how to pray. Well, it's really easy. You just you just start talking to him. That is prayer, and that creates power. Another source of power is, is the local church it's it's a source of power for you it's a it's it's a means of grace it's a way it's an avenue it's a channel that god comes to you another source of power for those of you that are married is your spouse once you once once you married that person once you committed your life to that person the bible says the two became one in other words god will never just speak to you by yourself he will speak to you through your spouse he will meet your needs through your spouse he will give give you grace through your spouse. That's why when you cut yourself off from your spouse, that's why when you turn a cold shoulder to them and when you ignore their needs, when you stop loving them, you cut off the grace of God in your life. And you're left on your own and you feel alone and you struggle alone and you deal with the things that you God had provided grace for you in that woman or in that man, but there was a, there was a cutoff point. And sometimes, sometimes in a marriage, the man or the woman cuts themselves off. And you sense that. But what I have learned is that is that, is, is that there, there are these sources, right? The church, your spouse, your family sometimes. If, 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 you're, if, you're, if you're a teenager, your parents are a source of grace to you. Don't curse your blessing. Don't bite the hand that feeds you. Come on, somebody. They, 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 are, they are God's path. It's God's channel. If God wants to speak to you and you're 12 years old, he's going to speak to you through your parents. Eve, god even spoke to jesus god spoke to himself through his parents when he was 12 years old and he said no no you don't need to be here you need to be over here and this is how god so so when, when, when we plug into the appropriate relationships god speaks to us through those relationships and it's awesome but sometimes sometimes uh, you sometimes if you if you if you try to suck too much power out of one outlet I don't, I, don't, I don't know if you've ever experienced this but um, my the church office used to be in a much smaller little space and it's a former dental suite and there's all these little rooms like the, from from the old dentist like the little torture chambers where, where he would do his stuff and sorry if we have any dentists here my cousin might be watching sorry Chris um, but you know and so and so I had one of those little dent- I had like a little it was a closet actually it was a seven by um, five foot closet and um, um, I, I have this little Verissimo and, it's, and it's, it's, it's the Starbucks version of a Keurig and so, and so it, it makes coffee and uh, it's pretty powerful, sucks a lot of energy all at once and, and because the building wasn't really designed to be a bunch of different offices the breakers can't always handle um, you know the amount of electricity we're putting through it and so I found that if I had my little mini fridge plugged in and if I had my lights on and if I had my laptop plugged in and if the AC was running that if I hit i that if I hit the button for my rig, it would go it would start going you know and then it would like, flip the breaker and like all of our lights would go off our internet would go away and, all, and people would get mad at me and so i i i learned though i mean i'm not going to go without coffee so i had to test it out a lot and so i finally got to a place where i if i walked out to the hallway turned off the ac for just a minute and uh unplugged my my, my little my little mini fridge and and turned off my lights that then i could make coffee without blowing the fuses for everybody you know because some and 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 that's true for for electricity but it's also true for our life sometimes we sometimes we don't use all the outlets we we focus we hone in on one and we we end up trying to pull so much power through that one person or even through that one church and we don't we we, well well i don't need to read my bible or pray or really connect with my spouse because we got a great church and we go there and that fixes everything The problem is there, there are breakers installed in your house or in your place of business because, because if you try pulling too much power through one outlet, the outlet wasn't made for that, and the outlet will fry, and it'll create a fire. It's bad. It's hazardous. And your spouse wasn't made to be the only outlet for you. you like, she'll blow up. You know what I'm saying? Like That's not how that works. And and, and the church wasn't made to be the only outlet for you, But but... Because because we're, we're creatures of habit, this is what we do. We lean on, on 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 these things. We end up fighting the wrong fight. We end up fighting with our spouse to give us more and more and more. We end up fighting with our church to give us more and more and more. But it was never intended to be the be all and end all. God wants to remind you that behind. and it's not a church and it's not a pastor and whatever they said to you or did to you or or however they misconstrued the gospel, it is not the way that God is. There is a source behind the outlet that is ongoing, that is continual, that is ready to meet your need if you'll plug into it. If you'll plug into him, you have to fight the right fight. Don't, Don't fight fights you can't win. Don't just fight the fights you want to win. Don't just fight the fights you think you can win. You have to fight the right fight. The right fight is a fight against self. The best you, the you that God has in his mind and had in his mind when he created you is a you that is not living for you, but is living for others and serving God by blessing others. And selfishness contorts that and selfishness twists that selfishness causes you and i whenever we're finding ourselves in the dungeon whenever we're finding ourselves in a difficult situation it causes us to blame god and to get angry with god because we're not winning and yet paul said i fought the good fight he didn't say i won it he celebrated the fighting you you ought to celebrate every day you just pick up the sword some days you don't win. Some days it doesn't go down the way that you that you would like. Some days you don't act the way that you would like. Sometimes you let yourself down. But at least I'm fighting the right fight. At least I'm not fighting other people. At least I'm not fighting other ideas. At least I'm fighting the, the me inside of me that keeps fighting for me. I'm fighting against my selfishness. At least I'm fighting the right fight. And maybe I didn't win today, but I'm going to wake up again tomorrow and I'm going to pick up my sword. Paul said, I fought the fight. He didn't say I won. He didn't say I, I, I covered any ground. He was celebrating the fact that he had done it. Sometimes just having done it is reason to celebrate. Just having fought it. Just having identified the enemy having picked up on the fact that my selfishness, that's what's killing me. That's what's holding me back. That's what's drowning me. That's what's making me unable to be the husband, to be the father, to be the pastor that I'm called to be. It's all right in here. It's between these two years. This is where the battle lines are. This is the good fight. And maybe I didn't even win today, but I fought it. I fought the good fight and I finished the race. He didn't say where he placed. We don't know if he ran across the finish line or crawled across the finish line. We don't know how many detours he took along the race. We don't know his time compared to Moses and, and John the Baptist and, and, and anybody else. He, he, he's, not, he's not talking about winning. He's talking about finishing. And this is the joy. This is the joy that people find that obey God. They find that, that their obedience is enough that there is joy. See, the reason why obedience isn't enough for us is because we really wanted to win all along. And we thought that if we obeyed God, then He would help us win. And that's why we joined up with his team. That's why we grabbed his baton because we're going to run with the Jesus League now because he's going to help us win and life's going to get better when I start going to church and things and 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 as soon as I start giving money to the church and tithing and stuff like that, then then you know I'm just going to I'm, I'm going to get a new Lexus and and it's going to be awesome and just and because because we love the we love the the, the stories right like we want to be on TBN sharing about how we did this and then that happened woo and then that happened and woo and then we want to write a bestseller based on this amazing act of faith that we took and then God just came in. And made it all make sense. And it was awesome because we really wanted to win. But God is celebrating obedience. God is celebrating finishing. God is, some days you got to pray yourself to a stand and then maybe pray yourself to a walk and then maybe pray yourself to barely take a step today. And I don't know how long it's going to take to finish this race, but God celebrates every single step along the way. The fact that you're moving forward, the fact that you're taking decisive steps in the direction of his calling over your life. This is what God celebrates with all of the detours, with all of the sidesteps, with all of the tripping and falling and bruised knees and straight faces that you have the question is did you finish the race did you finish did you move forward did you always get back up did you always take another step and this is what God celebrates there are no like you know gold medal and uh, gold silver and bronze winners in heaven there are those who finished and those who didn't and the joy of heaven is to have finished is to have been obedient and, and here's what I do know, that if you will plug into those areas, if you'll, if, if you'll be vulnerable with your spouse, if you'll, if you'll repent to your spouse if you'll be vulnerable with, with the church community, if you'll let them know when you're in need, if you'll, if, you, if, if you'll share who you are with them and allow them to share who they are with you, they may be imperfect, and your spouse may be imperfect, and and, 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 and and your Bible, you may not understand half of it, and when you pray, you really may not feel a whole lot, and there might be times that these outlets fail you and, and trip, and they're not really working very well, but what I do know is that whenever we plug into to a source, it, can, it allows God, God to step in. When we open the door to our spouse, it allows God to follow. When we open the door to church community, it allows God to follow. When we open the door to His word and to prayer, even if, even if the particular outlet isn't working very well for us, it allows God to step in and make up the gap. See, so you're not responsible for succeeding. You're not responsible for winning. You're not responsible for effectiveness. You're not responsible for fruit. God's never asked you to grow anything. God's never asked you to change anybody. God's never asked you to save anybody. God's never asked you to transform a church or make it be whoever God wants it to be. God never asked you to change the world or change anybody. God never even asked you to change yourself. God just asked you to be obedient, to open up your heart and allow him to come in and do what only he could do. And this is this is the joy of having done it that I have done it I am I am done I am done trying to be successful and I am instead going to be obedient I am instead going to do what I actually can do there's an Aesop fable that, that speaks to me where uh, there, there's some dogs and there's, uh, there's, there's, there's the, the, the dog's owner. Um, he, he was stripping a hide and, and uh, he, he stuck the hide under a rock, uh, part of a rock on, in the stream. And the stream's a couple of feet deep and the dogs really wanted the hide. And so they decided, hey, if we just drink all of the water in the, in the stream, then we'll be able to get to the hide. And of course, the dogs drown to death because they're trying to do the impossible. So don't try to do the impossible I can do all things through crisis yeah. All things means I can be obedient in everything you, can, you cannot do You know, I mean, it makes for a great bumper sticker And a ripped t-shirt when you go to the gym Which I go all the time And it just fires me up But, but it's, not, it's not what it's talking about it's talking about I can be obedient in every situation, in every season, in every difficulty, in every dungeon that I find myself. In the middle of it, I can find joy. And that's what Job said in, in Job chapter 6, verse, uh, ver, ver, verse 10. I only have a couple of scriptures, and this is, this, is, this is the last one, Job 6, 10. And Job, by the way, went through a few things, uh, a few difficulties. You might have heard his story in the Bible. But he said, he said I would still have this consolation and my joy in unrelenting pain i think it's the king james says in the midst of unrelenting pain joy in the middle of unrelenting pain in the course of it, 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 pain is difficult at the start that heck that, that could be a whole sermon right there in the middle of unrelenting pain pain is difficult in the start but at least you have some momentum of, of, of you know courage and you, you really don't know what's coming um, but it's also difficult in the end but at least you can see the light at the end of the tunnel but when you're in the middle someone once said that the darkest time of the night is just before the dawn that is complete nonsense just Google it. That's what I did. <laughs> the darkest time of the night is not before the dawn. It doesn't even make sense. I mean, if we're living on a globe and the sun's coming around this way, just before the dawn, the sun is actually kind of like closer to us. That's actually the lightest time of night. <laughs> it's just before the dawn. I mean, it's never lighter than the moment just before the sun rises. Like, except when it went down, because we're living on a big circle. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it, it doesn't make it. But, but, for, but some preacher one time said thought it sounded really good. The darkest time of the night is just before the dawn. He's trying to encourage people who are in the darkest time of the night by lying to them. Just hold on. It's just the hardest part of the battle is is just before the victory. No, it's not. That's only true in Vegas, like, you know, where, where winning is, is, is just the roll of a dice. In real battle, your, 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 your victory is, is, is really, it's a compound effect of small little wins. And so the, the, the victory is not just before the hardest time. The, the, the darkest time of the night is not just before the dawn. The darkest time of night is right around midnight. It's in the middle of the night when the sun is the exact opposite of where you are. And it's also the longest time of the night. That's not very encouraging. I I, I, I was trying to encourage somebody, and I shared the scripture with them, and it didn't really do the trick. I guess I'm just weird like that, because to me, it's encouraging that scripture is real. I'd rather you be real with me than tell me some nonsense that's not really going to help me. I'd rather you just shoot straight. Could could we just be honest? Could we just like could we just be real about this thing? Because because if not, it's just gonna be more disappointment. And, it, and it, yeah, I might get people encouraged and fired up on you know Sunday morning, but then Monday's gonna come around and oh hey, the darkest time of the night is not just before the dawn. The darkest time of the night is the middle of the night. And when you are in the middle of the night, you have just as far to go to the end of it as you have been through the beginning of it. You're in the middle. It's the hardest place in the middle. It's the toughest place in the middle. And so my question is not, you know, well, 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 well when's, when's the dawn coming? When's the dawn coming? When, when's my circumstance going to change? When is it going to get better? When am I going to feel better? When am I going to get away from unrelenting pain? Pastor, could you just tell me that it's just going to end sometime soon and God's going to deliver me and swoop in and, 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 and something's going to change my circumstance? But I, I, I can't tell you that because Job said that it was in the unrelenting pain that he found joy. And so I have no idea about your circumstance or your finances or your life goals or your or your dating pursuits or your or your college. You I have no idea when this pain is going to subside. I have no idea when 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 when, I, when my trial is going to be over. Right? Like I I can't even tell you for myself. I, I'm asking for a deadline for a due date. You know? I love an expiration date on pain. Wouldn't that be awesome? Just like you have it on milk. You know? You know that when that date hits, this thing is going to be sour. You're going to throw it out. I wish I had. To some kind of, some kind of uh, t- a timeline that God said, okay, you're going to suffer this for a while, but then boom, this is going to happen. It's going to be awesome. I would love to, to believe that because it feels good and it feels right. But Job said, look, I've been in the middle of unrelenting pain for a while and I've learned that it's not about getting out of unrelenting pain. It's about finding joy in the middle of it. And so the joy actually, he says, is, is that he did not deny the words of God. This is the joy in the middle of unrelenting pain. And that word joy is a curious word. It's actually the only time that particular word is used in the Old Testament. Uh, It's strange. There's a lot of words for joy in the Bible. Joy is mentioned quite a bit, actually. But that word is never used except in this particular instance. And it's not the kind of joy where you're smiling through the tears, it's not the kind of joy where you're. Uh, Whistling while you work (laughs) It's not It's not Like the word joy Actually it's interesting to look at different translations Because the King James calls it um, um, I I called it being hardened Which is weird It doesn't sound joyful to me But the original word actually means to leap um, Or to create sparks By leaping And um this is even more confusing. I'm like, well, how? What are you talking about? And so, and so, one of the one of the translations says that 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 it's referring to. Um, this is the Middle East. about three thousand years ago when this was written. Uh, it's very rocky terrain. Um, the primary mode of transportation is horses. And so, it's referring to horses um, running at night. And 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 it is said that when they ran extra fast across rocky terrain, that they would kick up rocks. On their way, and they're running. And when they're running really hard, those rocks would would clash against each other and create um, sparks. And so, actually, the word "my joy" is is really could be translated "my sparks" or the sparks that I am making, or the the leaping that I am doing that's creating the sparks. And this is this is what I love about scripture is that it's real about the situation that we're in, but it doesn't leave us without joy, without hope in the middle of that situation. Job says, look, in the middle of unrelenting pain, I am creating movement. I am creating sparks. I'm running so hard in in the middle of the night, in the darkest time of the night, I am pushing my horse so hard, I'm running this thing so hard that it's actually creating some light around my feet. And so the question for you is not how dark is your night or how long have you been there or how much longer will you have to stay? The question is how much ground are you going to gain in the dark? How many sparks are you going to create around your feet? And this is what, this is what Paul, uh, I believe he's talking about when he says, I have kept the faith. He didn't, it doesn't mean he's kept it captive. He's held on to it and not let anybody see it. But he has allowed the faith inside of him to press him so hard against God that he has decided to run harder that in the middle of the night, he's decided to run harder. And even with John the Baptist, as he's sitting in, down in that dungeon, man, I can, I can almost hear the snake, I can almost hear the devil just whispering to him, John, you've always been alone. Look, God's always left you alone. He's alone in the dungeon. The dude lived in the desert for his whole life. He was born to elderly parents. Most uh, uh, early Christian teaching, or the early church fathers believe that John's parents died before this moment. Uh, that he didn't have any brothers or sisters. He'd always been alone. John, God's always left you by yourself. He's never provided any companions for you. You've never got married. You've never even been on a date. You were never invited to any of the parties. You were never included in any of the social things because you're weird like that. You're wearing camel skin and, and eating locusts and honey is what the Bible tells us about John. He didn't have social etiquette. He lived in the desert in the wilderness. I don't know if you know this or not, but there's not a lot of people who live in the desert. When your address is, you know, 1523 Desert Lane, like you're by yourself, you are alone. And the snake is whispering in John's ear, look, God's always left you alone. You're alone now, you were alone in the desert, you were alone in your ministry, you were alone as a child, you've always been alone. And John, you've never had the finer things of life. You've never known what it is to have a good meal. You've never had a good meal. You've always eaten bugs and honey. Locusts and honey. John, you've never, you've never been able to afford the finer things of life. The early church believed that John's mother was the sister of Herodias, which is an interesting twist if you look back on our story from last week. But it also would suggest that John came from a rather wealthy family. And the wealthy kid is living in a desert, not even able to afford his own tux. John you've never had what your parents had You've never been able to provide for yourself Like, 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 like God's never taking care of you And the snake always comes to us and, but, but he tips his hand a little bit When he says words like always and never Because that implies Always and never implies something That has always been with John Since the time he was born And Satan wasn't even interested in John In the time he was born Because he didn't know what a threat that he was He's doing research now He's looking for threads now. And he tips his hand because he needs a little bit of truth to go with his lie to make it stick. He needs to sharpen the end of that arrow. And so the truth is it, that it is true John has always been alone. It is true that John has never had the finer things of life. It's absolutely true. But it was, it was alone that John found God. It was alone that John found out that he didn't need God people to affirm of him, that he just needed God to approve of him. He, they, he did, Before he even got on Facebook, he didn't need your like, he didn't need your share, he didn't need you to tweet or not tweet. He didn't need that because because he never had that. He didn't need the finer things in life because he wasn't serving God for a paycheck because he wasn't doing it for the benefits because he wasn't doing it because Jesus was the one who was hiring who's the best pay. He, he was sold out, so he couldn't be bought by a higher bidder. He wasn't ever doing it for the money. In fact, Satan, if he was really thinking, Satan would have put him up in the Hilton because that's how you kill a prophet. You don't kill him with adversity. You kill him with prosperity. He should have got him a tux and a limo and fed him the finer things of life to get him used to that. But because he had been forged in the fire of the desert he was ready for the dungeon it is true i've always had that struggle i've always carried that burden that means my back is strong enough to carry it now i was built for this moment i was prepared for the i was forged in the fire of wilderness and desert and longing and loneliness i know how to find god in the middle of nowhere do you know how many bugs there are in a dungeon the dude was eating better in the dungeon than he was in the wilderness the devil threw prayer rabbit in the briar patch and he didn't know it he was sending him home god was preparing him this is this is the great shift for me in all of my life i've always been like god what's next what's next what's next what's next what's next and it's always bothered me when i can't figure out how this moment connects to what's next it's just bothered me I've always felt pointless. It's like, well, then this isn't worth it. It's pointless. Why am I doing this? What's going on? If it's not connected to what's next, and I was, I was in one of those funks a while years ago, and um, there was this girl, a uh, lady. Her name was Miss Brenda. She's a Cajun lady who worked for my boss, Tommy. Um, she had the worst job. Um, she she had to clean his underwear, and and uh, she was she was their mate. She did all their cooking. She took care of all the household medications, everything. And her and I got real close because I was Tommy's personal assistant, so I was always at their house. And one time, it was about 1 in the morning, we got back from a trip, and I was sitting there listening to Brenda, who I felt like Miss Brenda had a tougher job than me. And she talked about how she was a registered nurse. And she talked about, and, and she said the said statement that just blew my mind. She said, she said, all of my life has prepared me for this moment. And I was like, really? Like, you know, there's nothing like, yeah, but what's next? I don't know. But all of my life has prepared me for this moment. And that's where I got in the car and God spoke to me and said, Harry, do you know how much I've invested in this moment to get you ready for this moment? And I said, yeah, God, but this doesn't seem to be leading to what I thought was next. <laughs> and he said, well, it's not about what's next. It's about this moment. And it is true that you've always had these certain struggles. And it is true that you came from this certain family. And it is true that, that, that you've always had these, these certain things, these strikes against you. But that's because it's part of where you're, what's next. It's part of where you're going. I've, I've built up certain muscles that you need, and I've left other muscles... Just unused because they're just not necessary for what I'm asking you to carry. And every pastor is different, every person is different. The callings and all of our lives are different. And if you're so obsessed with winning the race, you might never actually finish. If you're so obsessed with winning the fight, you might never actually have fought. If, if you're too obsessed with avoiding the pain you might never learn how to create sparks in the dark and you can't help the dark, you can't help the pain that's gonna come whether you're serving God or serving yourself or whatever that is part of life but to, but to make your own sparks to, to not, like we, we get stuck in cycles where we're waiting on a rescue, right? And we're praying for those guys who are right now in Thailand waiting on a, a rescue. Some of them are being rescued. And that's awesome, but you're not in Thailand. You're not in a cave. You're, you're not waiting on a rescue. You, God has put inside of you the necessary tools to be your own rescue, to get yourself out, to make your own sparks. There's not, there's, no one's coming over the hill. The Calvary's not coming. FYI, it's not going to be there. It's not showing up. God thinks you are capable of making sure your kids are in church so that they hear about God. God thinks you are capable of making sure you make good decisions so that you have the finances to do the things that you need with the money that he's given you. God thinks you are capable. You are your rescue. No one's going to jump into that dungeon. You have the sword with you. You've always had it with you. You had it in the, in the desert. You had it way back when. The same God who is with you there is with you now. The same approval that you need is with you now. The same voice of confirmation and, and, and comfort that was with you before is still with you now. And, and that's that's it. That is the joy of being done, of saying, I've opened the door. I have been obedient. I have kept the faith. I have run the race. I fought. Maybe I didn't fight like I, I, I would like to fight tomorrow, but I, I, I fought. I picked up the sword today. I tried. To be obedient to what God's calling me to do. And that's the joy of being done.